you have a Bible this morning, please grab it, open it, or turn it on, whatever you do these days. Um, We're going to look at the book of Hebrews and continue our teaching series that we started a couple weeks ago. We've entitled it Cloud of Witnesses. It's out of uh, a verse in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's read there now. Obviously, um, if you didn't bring something to read, you can look up on the screens. Hebrews 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 1, 4. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, this analogy, or this picture of running a race of faith is, is, uh, is used, and it says that everyone who enters the race must run. Every runner runs, but only one wins the prize. Therefore, run in such a way so as to win the prize. Um, it's an analogy. We're not competing over Jesus. Okay, we, can, we, all get, we all get to win the race set before us as we look to Jesus. But the analogy, the analogy is, as we follow Jesus, it's like entering this race with an incredible reason to follow Jesus and to endure and to fight and to to throw off every sort of hindrance and heavy thing and sin that would sort of weigh us down and cling to us and keep us from running uh, in freedom, in joy, all the things. And so that's, that's the idea. In this chapter 12 passage that we just read, it refers to a cloud of witnesses. It says, therefore, as we run, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, it's referring to the previous chapter, Hebrews 11, where the writer lists this long list of, of men and women who've gone before, talking about Old Testament saints, trusting God in their lives, in their own unique ways. And so they're running the race and looking to Jesus and enduring and, and all these things were said, consider those who've gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. Think about the that they ran and what we can, uh, what we can glean from them, the encouragement. Um, ultimately, Jesus is our supreme example. And yet we're told elsewhere that the Bible does, um, it gives us all the stories of old to encourage us, to glean wisdom from. Etc. So that's, that's what we're doing. That's the sermon series in a nutshell. This morning, we're going to continue right in on the list in Hebrews of life of Abraham. So um, there we go. Hebrews 11 and 8. Here's the reference. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive, He did not 
of Abraham. Um, and we're actually going to title this, this sermon this morning. Next slide, please. Slide, pretty please. Thank you. Abraham, journey, surrender. Abraham, if you're not familiar, is Abraham's story is a story of a man who was on a journey of surrender, learning to trust God in ways that required him to surrender big things in his life as he trusted God. Really, it's a story of faith, but I, I, would, I would suggest, I would insist, more specifically, it's not just about a man who I need a, really? I'm, I'm getting waved at in the back. Okay. There we go. Cool. Um, Abraham didn't just believe that God existed. He believed that as he was following God and like letting go of certain things, it was because God was offering him something better a greater reward. And so his is truly a journey of a man learning to surrender. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the journey of surrender. Um, now, if we go back to the source text, as it were, I'm talking about Genesis, uh, well, I think it starts in like Genesis chapter 12, if I'm not mistaken, 12, 13, all the way up through like chapter um, 22. So it's a good, good chunk of the Old Testament. It's, it's his story. Um, if you kind of zoom out and, and try, to, try to capture the essence, like there's the details, which are important. There's some really bizarre and cool details in the story. But there's, a, there's an overarching story that's being told. There's something that, um, that sort of connects all the dots. And that's what I want to help us to get this morning. What is, what's the big picture? What's the real journey here? Um, it begins in Genesis chapter 12, and we're introduced to Abraham, this wandering Aramean out in the desert who somehow has this encounter with God, um, which says something in itself. Some weird dude out in the desert who's like hearing God. How about that? Um, Abraham, we're told right up front some specifics about the man. Number one... Um, as soon as he heard God, and God said, I want you to go, I've got a place for you to live and a family for you to have, and through you, I'm going to do incredible things, and the world's never going to be the same if you'll trust me. And we're told immediately Abraham went. Because there was something about the man that he was eager to respond. He was eager to actually trust God, and not just in theory, but to actually go. It says that he went. Secondly, this is all right up front in the, inter, in, in the introduction of Abraham. He went, secondly, he knew how to build altars. He was a worshiping man. Just in Genesis 12, 
Two times, within just a few verses, we're told that Abraham would go and then immediately build an altar. And then he would have this other encounter and God would sort of nudge him a little bit and and remind him of the promise and he'd go a little bit further and then he'd build another altar. And all throughout his story, Abraham is worshiping. He's building these altars. So he's a spiritual man. He knows how to worship. And thirdly, we're told right up front that Abraham is an incredibly human, human. Um, You learn almost immediately that Abraham truly is not the hero of Abraham's story. He's just a normal guy. Okay, maybe normal's not quite right. Just, Just out there living in the desert, listening to God going on these incredible adventures, but he's a, he's an imperfect man. He's a normal man. In fact, Genesis 12, sort of the introduction of Abraham, if you will, we're told that um, after he goes, builds a, a couple of altars to sort of commemorate the journey as an act of worship, um, immediately a famine breaks out. And he takes off for Egypt, hoping that he can find some food. And because his wife is beautiful, he tells her to lie to anyone who asks. Don't tell them you're my wife because they'll kill me and just take you for themselves because that's, that's how the ancients did it, apparently. Um, no, don't, don't tell them we're married. Tell them that you're my sister. Maybe that'll work out. Like, what, what a punk move. And I don't, maybe there's like an ancient context to it all, which I'm sure there is, regardless. Um, not cool, not cool. Um, this actually happens again later on in the story. Um, and the point being, Abraham, he, he's, yeah, he's got some boldness about him. He is a spiritual man to be sure, but he's also got some fear in the mix. He is a mixture, just like all of us. And I think that's important. Abraham is not the hero of this story. He's got some virtue, he's got some cowardice, he's got some strength, he's got some weakness. And that truly is like a big part of this this journey. You see Abraham doing some really cool things, the fact that he responded in faith and just went, not knowing where he was going, that's, that's incredible. That takes some courage. But it almost seems like every time he, he wins, he almost immediately fails. He is a man of mixture, to be sure. So that's what we know about Abraham. Now, as the uh, story unfolds, we get these like, it's almost like every chapter gives us a new snapshot, a new sort of twist, new aspect of the story. Um, After he leaves Egypt, he comes back to where he's supposed to be, and he's on this journey, and God's kind of moving him to the land of Canaan and, and continuing to speak to him, showing up in these moments in the desert, reminding him of the promises. The next thing that happens is we're told in Genesis 14 that um, his nephew, Lot, gets caught up in some tribal warfare. So some of the, the nations in that area go to war. Apparently, it's like five kings versus four. And one of the kings is the king of Sodom. Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living in this city called Sodom, and he gets taken captive. One of the neighboring um, allies 
of Abraham is able to get to him, to Abraham, and tell him what's happening. And so Abraham goes to rescue his nephew. Bold move. Bold move. He does have some courage. Although I do wonder about his motives. He ends up rescuing Lot. He rallies the troops, gets his nephew back. And then we're told that this mysterious figure, the high priest or the priest of the most high God named Melchizedek. Anyone ever heard of Melchizedek? You're like, man, you get to the point, Simon. What, what, where are you going with any of this? This is the story. We've got to get into the story. Melchizedek, this mysterious figure who's referred to as the priest of the Most High God. He comes out um, as Abraham's retrieving his nephew. And the king of Sodom comes out and he's like, thank God you got our stuff back. You know, keep the stuff, just give me the people. And Abraham's like, no, 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 take it all. I don't want you to think in years to come that you made me rich. I don't want to be in debt to you. And besides, I made an oath to God. I wasn't going to keep any of it. Melchizedek comes out, brings bread and wine lays it before Abraham, and they share this meal together. And we're told that Abraham gives 10%, a tithe is the word, to this priest named Melchizedek. He gives him an incredible sum of money. So we're going to take up an offering now. <laughs> Kidding, I couldn't resist. Some of you are like, that's not funny. I've triggered you, so sorry. Um, this is the part of the story that has to do with money. We're talking about surrender. Talking about the story of a man who is on this journey of faith, learning to trust God and surrender certain things along the way that he might um, grow in his trust. And the first thing is money. A lot of money, apparently. How do you guys feel about that? How do you feel about giving cash to, I don't know, a priest, a church, an institution, something in the name of God? And that is, like, actually properly triggering, is it not? Um, to be sure, if I had to guess, I would say the majority, if not all of us, in different ways, to varying degrees, have been manipulated by someone to give money in the name of Christendom. And so it's like just me bringing it up. I, I'm aware. Um, yeah, it, it brings up all sorts of stuff. Surrendering your money to God. That's the first moment in this story. Let's keep going. Genesis 15 through 16. Um, he's continuing on this journey through the desert, and God keeps showing up, keeps reminding him that I've got a family for you. I know you're old. I know your wife is barren. I know this doesn't make sense. I know you don't really know where you're going, but if you continue trusting me, I've got a I've got a family for you. I've got a son for you. And through your family and his lineage, uh, you're going to become a nation. And you're going to bless the world. And this is the, 
promise over and over. It keeps, God keeps showing up and reminding him of this promise over and over. At some point in time, so he's 75 when he sets out, when he's about 70, um, sorry, 86. This is the part of the story where we're given a whole bunch of numbers, like specific ages and, and lengths of time. So he's given the promise initially, sets out initially when he's 75. We're told that explicitly. When he's 86, he still has no child. So he gets the idea he'll sleep with his wife's uh, servant, a woman named Hagar. It's almost this uh, like picture of Abraham saying, right, it's actually him and his wife sort of agreed together to do this. It's almost as if they're like, right, God has promised to give us a family, but it's been how long now? Over 10 years? Maybe we need to help God. Maybe God doesn't get like how this is meant to work. And so he ends up having a child, a son, with Hagar, Sarah's servant. It doesn't go well. Surprise at all. Um, in fact, the, the ramifications are like generational, national in scale. I mean, it, and it's the, there's a whole spinoff here because of this, I would say affair. I don't think it was really an affair. There's something going on that's absolutely, there's an ancient context too. Um, but the, the point I want to emphasize, the thing I want to draw out in this section of the story is that there's something to do with Abraham surrendering his, his desire for a particular timeline. It's taking a long time. And so Abraham and his wife decide we need to interject. We need to assist. We need to sort of control this situation if God's promise is actually going to be fulfilled. And so as I read it, it's, it's a picture of Abraham surrendering his timeline. It's taking too long. This should have happened by now. And in fact, instead of continuing to surrender to maybe uh, God's timeline, Abraham decides to take control of the situation and it doesn't go well. It really doesn't go well. This is an example of maybe uh, Abraham being superhuman. Not superhuman, uh, simply human. <laughs> simply human. How do you feel about that? What do you think's coming next? We got money, time. Anyone know the story? What does come next? Um, before we get there, anyone know about these phones? Anyone have one of these? It's the light phone. Maybe you can't really see it from. I got this a few months ago. A few of you, I remember um, after I got mine, Ben ended up getting one as well. <sighs> and I don't remember who got who's first. Uh huh. Okay, so I'm on this kick. Ben inspired me. As, as he does all the time. And uh, I decided I was sick of being tethered to my smartphone. This is part of the sermon, all right? Okay, just bear with me. 
Um, I got tired of being tethered to these apps, to this device. Now, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not about to heap condemnation on anyone. Um, this, this is my deal, right? This is me and Ben and maybe one or two others. But I, I thought, I, I want to do something radical. And who knows? Maybe if I can like break free of this addiction in my pocket, uh, maybe it'll uh, have a knock-on effect. And maybe I'll, I'll begin to sort of take radical steps in other areas of my life. But I was just sick of being addicted to these apps, like full disclosure. And I mean, we, you get it, right? We're all there. I don't know if everyone's going to run out and like burn their iPhone, but you know what I'm saying, right? This addiction that we have to this device in our pocket. So I got rid of this thing, and it has been incredibly inconvenient. You know, one of the most inconvenient about inconvenient things about it has been. You want to guess? Maps, navigation. Yes, exactly. Like for the first, I don't know, couple of months, I was getting lost all the time. And you know what's super inconvenient about getting lost? It's not getting lost. I mean, that is inconvenient. But it's feeling out of control. Like, I want to get from A to B. The maps will tell me how to get there and exactly how long it'll take. And I love that. It gives me a sense of, like, I am in control of my destiny. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch. I get it. Okay. It's an analogy, but I don't think it's too big of a stretch. This, this is our world. We like to be in control. We must be in control. Being out of control or relinquishing control is not a popular thing. It doesn't sell products. It's not sexy. It doesn't feel great. We want to be in control. Reading the story, the journey of Abraham, who gives his money, who's confronted with his timeline, it gets right to the core of the human condition. It's been really good. It's so painful. Um, now, it's been, what, six, seven, eight months? I don't know. Guys, little secret. Okay, I'm old, okay? So not all of you are as old as I am. But I remember vividly being able to drive from A to B without a, a navigation device. So I was convinced in my mind, I think I can do it again. You can. You can. It's, it's actually possible. I can go pretty much anywhere in the greater Portland area now um, just by glancing at Google Maps. And just, you know, I have to like memorize what, two or three exits, no big deal. Um, that, that, would, that had nothing to do with my message other than like it feels really good <laughs> to not get lost all the time now. But it's still incredibly inconvenient feeling like I've relinquished control. The next part of the story, Abraham, he has this illegitimate son that does not go well at all. And then God meets him again and he says, Abraham, now you need to trust me. In order for this, this plan to work out, it's going to require that you stop trying to control this process and trust me, trust me. 
Trust me radically. It'll hurt. It'll, be, it'll feel inconvenient, but trust me. And so after he has this illegitimate son, Ishmael, poor guy, um, God says, now Abraham, I am going to give you a son. And in fact, it takes another, he's not 90, he's 99 when he finally has his own biological son named Isaac. And you know what God told Abraham to do when he was 86 years old? You know what he told him to do? Does anyone know where I'm going with this? He tells him to circumcise himself, to cut off the foreskin of his penis. That has to do with his body, specifically his genitalia. That trigger anyone? We're talking about money. We're talking about time. We're talking about your body, specifically your genitalia. What, what, what's he going to surrender next? I mean, these are the things. These are my things. My money. My time. My body. And God is patiently and systematically saying, give it to me. Trust me with it. Let go of that thing. And some of you are like, I don't know, Simon. Really? Is that, is that what the story is about? Mm-hmm. I believe it is. I think there's layers to it for sure. Oh, it's a brilliantly told story. It's poetry. And yes, I, I think that's exactly, it's a story of faith. But not just faith in the purely abstract sense, believing that God exists. It's Abraham didn't just believe God exists. He believed that he was a rewarder of those who would seek him. This is what James says specifically about Abraham. He didn't just believe that God existed. He believed that as he let go of one thing, God would give him another. As he relinquished control of this thing, God would reward him with a better thing. As he let go of money, God, would say, God said, I will bless you with true riches. As you relinquish your compulsion to control time and be in charge of your life's timeline. Relinquish control of that and I will give you something better. It's a journey of learning how to trust, i.e. it's a story of surrender. That's exactly what this story is about. And with all the big things, the most triggering, controversial, frustrating, this will just freak you out to the core things. Your money your time, your body. Surrender. And then there's Genesis 18 through 20. This whole story is sort of like interwoven in another story of ongoing conflict and violence. You know that. This, this is the part of the Bible where, where we're introduced to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom. That crazy story. The, the whole time that Abraham is being led by God on this journey through the desert, we keep sort of like panning over to this other story taking place. There's a war going on, there's tribal conflict, and there's these cities named Sodom and Gomorrah, and at one point it zooms right up into the city, and we're, we find ourselves at Lot's house, there's some angels have shown up because Moses, or sorry, Abraham had been interceding for the people in Sodom. 
So angels go to see if there's anyone there worth rescuing. They go to Lot's house and say, Lot, you got to get out of here. You and your family have got to get. And we're told that the men in the city try to break into his house and say, give us these men, these angels who appeared as men. Get, give them to us that we might have our way with them. And Lot's like, no, 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 no. Here, take my two daughters. I mean, it's like unthinkable violence. Unthinkable violence. This is happening the whole time that Abraham is on this journey of learning to surrender, trusting God. This is um, contrast of like, here's our broken world, here's evil and violence, and then there's God right in the middle of it all telling another story teaching this other man and his family, this is what it looks like to trust me, to be blessed by me, and to be a part of what I want to do in the world. Which brings us um, to Genesis 21, 22. This is the part of the story. Now Isaac's, or, um, Isaac's been born. That's his son. It's my son as well. He's 99 years old now. We don't know exactly how old, or he was 99 when he had Isaac, so maybe he's in his hundreds now. He's an old guy. His son's growing up, coming of age, and uh, God says, right, one, one, more, one more part of the story. One more layer to peel back. You've surrendered your money. You've surrendered your time. Uh, you've surrendered even your very body. Now I want you to give me your son. The son that I gave you, I need you to give him back to me. Like child sacrifice? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's what the, the other gods tell their people to do. You know, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need you to sacrifice your son. What does that even mean? Like, really sacrifice my son? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, I want you to go up this mountain, prepare the sacrifice. You know how to build an altar, right? Yeah, I know how to build an altar. Okay, good, 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 good. That's what we're going to do. I want you to worship me on this mountain. Bring your son. He's going to be the sacrifice. We've gone from money, time, sex, or body, I should specify, um, to now... What is it that's really the thing? Let's talk about your precious. See if I can get my ring off. This is your precious. <laughs> See, eventually, at some point in the journey, God says, now let's get like, let's talk brass tacks. Let's get right down to it. Let's peel back the final layer of your soul. What's that one thing that I ask, if I were to ask you to surrender, you might actually say, you know what, God? Mm-mm, nope. Nope, forget it. Not this thing. Not my precious. There's too much at stake. Too much of my security. Too much of my identity. 
I mean, if I give up that, that that's almost like you asking me to, 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 to cease existing. In fact, this was the son you gave me. This, you're not even asking me to give up something evil. You're asking me to give up the very good thing that you gave me through which you're meant to bless me and to bless the world. This is how it's supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to work. And now you're telling me to surrender this thing, my most precious thing? What does Abraham do? He says, all right, son, let's go. And father and son ascend the hill. They go up the mountain. The son's carrying the wood on his back. And together they worship. They surrender one last time. As it turns out, if you've not read the story, God didn't want Abraham to sacrifice his son. It was the final part in the story, his journey of learning to surrender. Let me read it to you. This is Genesis chapter 22. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. When Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Now I know that you fear me. We talked about that last week. We had an amazing conversation in our ecclesia. If you're not in a small group, guys, that's where the action's at. We spent about two hours talking about what does it mean to fear God? And why does he want us to fear him? Like, what, like what do I do with that? Here we are again. Now I know that you fear me. <clears throat> Why are we so terrified of relinquishing control in our life? What is it that we're really afraid of? I'm not really afraid of getting lost. Someone's been texting me a lot up here. What's going on here? Cool. I got lost yesterday morning. I was going to the cafe down the street. I knew exactly where it was. I think I must have driven through a wormhole or something. Like, honestly, I don't know how I got lost. It wasn't getting lost that scared me. I, I was about to, like, blow a gasket. I was so frustrated. Because in a moment, I felt like I'm out of control. This is terribly inconvenient. What is it about relinquishing control that terrifies us so much? Why? Do we find it so difficult to let go of our money? Why do we, are we compelled habitually to want to, to want God to bend his will according to my timeline? Why 
when someone starts talking about how God might want to be glorified in my body, does that make me want to pick up a weapon and retaliate? What is the real fear? You know, control, our compulsion to control is actually a response to fear. It's our attempt to control the fearful things around us. That's why I need to control, because I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid of something bad happening to me. I'm afraid of losing something that I'm not meant to lose because there's a part of my identity embedded in this thing. And so I'm afraid. I'm afraid of losing that thing. I'm afraid of being rejected. So I control that thing. I control that family. I control that situation because of fear. Fear of what could happen if I let go of that thing. If I relinquish control. If I surrender that thing. It's ironic when I'm controlling something, that's usually the surest sign that that fear is in fact controlling me. It's just a manifestation of fear taking its effect in a particular area of my life. I have to control it because the fear is actually controlling me. That's how it works. Isn't that true? What would it look like if in life instead of fearing that thing or that situation or that past event or that potential outcome? What if I feared God? What if I said, God, I want you to control me because you know, everyone has a master. Everyone is a slave to someone or something in this life. I can either be my own master, now that's a scary thought, because I can be a tyrant. Just ask my kids. I can be a tyrant. It's actually not funny. Like seriously, if you ask my kids, it's, it's, I'm working on it. What if I was to fear God? What if I was to relinquish control to him? What if I was to allow my heavenly father to say, you be my master? You dictate what I do with my money. You decide how I spend my time. My body is not my own, but it's been given to me as like a, a holy temple in which the spirit is meant to dwell. My body, my genitalia, my sexuality is meant to glorify my creator. And what if I'm meant to go on this journey of radical surrender where God sort of phase by phase, season by season, takes me by the hand and says, now I want you to let go of this thing. I want you to trust me with this thing. I want you to give in this way. I want you to stop doing this thing. I want you to trust me in this way. And every time I turn the page, I find Jesus there saying, come to me. Are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you weary? Would you like a better master? Come, surrender to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not a severe task master. I'm a good friend. I'm a loving father. I am trustworthy. I am faithful. Can we stand together, please? just a minute, 
I'm going to invite our London mission team to join me up front. We're going to have a little moment where we, we pray for our team. We're not all here, but there's a few of us here this morning. Um, because, yeah, next week we're going to hop on a plane and go on a mission trip to the UK. So we need prayers. But before we do that, let me, let me put a little closing point on this. So we consider Abraham, his journey of surrender. There's certainly so, so much more that could be said. I just thought we would focus on the obvious things. Money, time, our bodies. Or, you know, that thing, that precious thing that we would rather die than give up because it's, it's that much a part of our identity. And now this is actually a really, really good journey. Terrifying, to be sure. Hard, oh, is an understatement. But good, mm, very, very. And we're not living out in a desert. Because we might hear God way more if we, if we were. But we're not. Nevertheless, I believe that God is still speaking to people, to us. And he's so gentle and very, very brave. You ever notice that about God? He's willing to talk to us about things that like most people would never like come near. And God says, let's talk about that thing. Can I have it? Can you give it to me? Will you let it go? Will you trust me with it? Will you surrender that thing? I might give it back. I might give it back. That's called redemption. But I'll give it back in a way that it's no longer your God. It's no longer your idol. It's no longer that thing that you, you once deified. Um, it's simply a gift. And now I am your true source of security, of life, joy, peace all the things that we're really looking for in this life. And I reckon all of us can, if we just think about it for a second, you, you can easily think of like, well, what's my thing? And if I had to guess, it's probably money and time and your body, <laughs> like to varying degrees. It's always those things. And what might it look like for you to surrender that thing? Or at least like a part of that thing. What might it look like for you this week to just let go? It could begin with like, well, what, maybe I just start by acknowledging it. Maybe I just start by like saying it out loud and sharing it with a friend. Because honestly, I don't know practically what it might look like. I don't, I don't think I can give 10% of my income to anyone because that would be ridiculous. I, that's, yeah, okay. And I don't know what to do with my sexuality. I don't give God my genitalia. Like, are you insane? What does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. That's complicated. And so perhaps you open up to a safe friend, someone who can walk with you. Say, okay, I don't, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but dang it, I'll hold your hand. We'll figure this out together. We'll trust Jesus together.
Lord Jesus, help us. Um, help us to, to know that wh- whatever it is, Lord, whatever it might look like this week, um, that your call to surrender to you is actually really, really good news because you're trustworthy. You're good. You only ask us to, to surrender things so that you can, you can bless us in a way that, that we truly desire. You can give us more of yourself more of your ways, more of your life. And I pray that you would, you would empower us to trust you in that way. Whether it's a little subtle thing or something really, really big and scary, Lord, help us to take, um, to take the next step or at least to, to begin the conversation so that we would experience more of your life, more true freedom that we would be able to enjoy the good things without making, like, um, without them consuming us, like that ring, that good, powerful gift just turns into this curse. Lord, help us to surrender the things that we love to you, that you might redeem them, that we might appreciate them and enjoy them in a way that's life-giving and good. Jesus, help us to, um, to be radically honest with ourselves instead of racking our brains to try to find ways of avoiding things, hard things. Lord, help us to be vulnerable. You don't manhandle us. You don't, you don't take us by the back of the neck and like make us do things that we're just we're not ready for Lord help us to trust that you you are you're gentle you are kind you're a good shepherd you don't use your rod to beat us you you use it to protect us help us to trust you as we surrender everything into your hands all of our life.